0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for listening. Folks, we're on episode 17. I am so excited. I have a great guest for you today, but... First and foremost, I want to touch base. If you're a fan of the podcast, and if you're listening on, let's say, episode 17, I'm assuming you like the podcast, please make sure to hit subscribe and rate. It really, really helps us out. Actually, uh, they just released this new thing, which was so cool, on iTunes, where I'm able to find uh, you know, how many of my listeners are subscribed. 75% of you are subscribed. The other 25 aren't. So, if you're the 25, please stop this right now. Please hit subscribe. That really helps us out. So... With that said, welcome to the show. You know, we have uh, just an awesome guest. So I have a very good friend of mine. Her name is Diane, and we've known each other for nearly eight years. We actually both went to Boise State University together. We both graduated with biology degrees, but... Diane has one-upped me. She went on to get her master's degree. And, folks, she has a lot of experience out in the field with animals. Uh, You know, she's worked with birds of prey, raptors, of course, rattlesnakes, bats. She even has traveled the world, which I'm super jealous. I can't wait to talk to her. She's seen wild tigers. She's been to the Seychelles Islands, and she's seen giant tortoises. I seriously cannot wait to talk to her. So, Diane, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Corbin.
0: Have you subscribed? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe we should stop this and maybe you should subscribe. <laughs> Sub-
1: subscribe, right? No. I'm
0: kidding. We can do it afterwards. Well, thank you for doing this. And I'm, honestly, you're probably the only person from the bio- from the biology program who went on to get the master's that I know of. So congratulations, first and foremost. Thank you. Thank you. So professional. No. You're all educated. Boise State.
1: Just got done. Just got done? December of it's official in December.
0: Was it super hard?
1: Um, it was a lot of time. I would just say it's a lot of time. I wouldn't say it was hard because I'm passionate about it, but uh-huh. it was a lot of time. A
0: lot of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was
1: worth it. It was worth it.
0: Yeah. Well, congratulations once again. So let's go way back. So you've always had a passion for animals, correct? Yes. So <laughs> tell me about your childhood.
1: <laughs> um, so I'd say it's pretty pretty typical um, for people who end up following a career path into biology, Um, for my childhood, I grew up, you know, catching grasshoppers in my backyard and, you know, plucking the heads off of dandelions and giving bouquets of those flowers to my mother. <laughs> I thought
0: you were going to say plucking heads off grasshoppers. I was like, this is not good. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I mean, that probably happened too.
0: <laughs> okay. But
1: uh, catching water skippers and frogs mm-hmm. and um, just enjoying my backyard friends, mm-hmm. my backyard neighbors, I guess. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's where it kind of all started when I was little, I suppose. And then growing up. Um, with my grandparents owning a cattle ranch, I was mm-hmm. able to spend a lot of time with horses and cattle um, and dogs, of course, and cats. And so, yeah, my my passion just grew as I grew. So
0: That's so. awesome. And you just thought, like, did you grow up and did you want to be like a zookeeper or did you, did you want to be a biologist? Like, what was your path?
1: I mean, I think the uh, marine biology was always like a, a dream. You know? I
0: had no idea how competitive those fields were.
1: No, no. You just, I mean, I just figured you grow up and you can be whatever you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> at least that's what they tell you as a child.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's a lot of hard work. And
1: Yeah, yeah. you really got to have a passion for it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in order to, to dive in, once, even just with my undergrad, I mean, you start doing chemistry and the upper, Oh, my you know,
0: goodness. I had no idea. I've never taken a chemistry course. And it's so crazy to get a biology degree. You have to go through this rigorous, you know, these chemistry classes and... Yeah, it's insane. So for all my young listeners, what would you recommend? Young listeners out there right now, maybe in high school?
1: Oh, I don't know necessarily that I have a recommendation. Like, if your passion lies with animals, then you should follow it.
0: But take chemistry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was getting at. Well, um, just make sure you research the... You know, whatever university you're going to and find a professor that fits with you. I think that's really what it comes down to Mm -hmm. because I was I was lucky enough to get a really good professor at Boise State. And I think if I wouldn't have ended up with her, then it would have been a lot more of a struggle for me. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about your undergrad. You did something amazing. So amazing. You actually went to the Seychelles Islands I did. off the coast of Africa, yep. East Africa.
1: Up above Madagascar.
0: There you go. On
1: the map there, are those little tiny islands.
0: Oh my goodness. What? It, and we actually went together, so that's kind of how you and I met.
1: Yeah, we met the day that we landed in the Seychelles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We were it?
0: forced to like each other.
1: <laughs> <laughs> forced to live in a house with, was it 11 people? I think
0: so, 11 people.
1: 11 of us. So it was, if you didn't like them, you were good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's just so insane. And what an opportunity that was. Like, and I'm going to be honest, when I signed up for the course, I had no idea I'd never heard of the Seychelles before. Did you? No. No. <laughs>
1: like were you like I had where? Yeah, no but I was like islands. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh yeah, no, going it was just I had a friend who had taken a course with um Dr. Bechard at Boise State. And he generally does a trip every, he tries to do one every year, every other year. And so I was just told to get in contact with him. Mm -hmm. And that year, it just so happened that he was going to the Seychelles. And it just so happens that that is the only year that he did that trip. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, it was definitely a trip of a lifetime.
0: Trip of a lifetime. I
1: mean, we would have never been able to see that, those wildlife, any of that wildlife, mm-hmm. if we wouldn't have been there.
0: Yeah, and just to just, just like kind of to, to, I describe to the listeners, as I'm stuttering. Uh, you, what are the Seychelles like?
1: Um, well, the just to give you an idea, the islands, um, the beaches are the most photographed beaches for like postcards and calendars, like in the world. So they're just they're beautiful. It's just a beautiful place. It's beautiful. As the locals would say, it essentially is paradise on earth.
0: It is. I I was shocked. When I flew in, I thought of like Jurassic Park. We flew in, you know what I mean, with oh, the palm trees yes, and trees. just... That's
1: what it felt like. That is what it felt Jurassic like. Jurassic
0: Park. And I remember walking alone on the on the roads at night. We'd walk, you know, walk alone in the dark, and it was so weird to me because in my instincts, I'm like, gosh, are there any predators around here? But the island, they don't have any predators. Humans no. wiped them out. Crocodiles, I think, <laughs> were the only ones, but then they wiped the... You know, the sellers wiped them out years ago. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> and then, yeah, so there's all... Um, for the most part, smaller animals that live there. Mm-hmm. Aside from the uh, Aldabra tortoise.
0: Yeah, So talk about that. Talk about the wildlife. This is an animal podcast. So talk about <laughs> <laughs> enough about us. So
1: the um, I think the Aldabra tortoise was the the biggest hit for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing, um, largest tortoise in the world.
0: My animal. It is. We there. all we all got assigned an animal.
1: We did. We all got assigned an animal. And
0: what was yours? A snail I, or no? <laughs> What was it?
1: No, it was a bird. (laughs) (laughs) But I am not going to lie. I don't remember what bird it was. That's
0: fine. Sorry, Linnell, if you're listening. A fellow bird (laughs) listening.
1: That's pretty terrible. That's okay. It was a local species. Um, But no, the the tortoises, I think, were probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, Sea turtles. Oh. Uh, Sea turtles. We got to see a loggerhead sea turtle um, trying to dig... A nest, like dig a spot to lay her eggs. Oh my goodness. Uh, but she, she didn't find a good spot, so she was clambering over logs and mm-hmm. all of this underbrush trying to find a location that she wanted to lay her eggs, but that it was, it was mm-hmm. just an amazing thing to see while we were there.
0: It was, and it's amazing that they have that program, there, that sea turtle program, where you could go and live like for yeah, several they months.
1: They, yeah, they offer that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that probably most people don't know about. I mm-hmm. think the only thing that is out of pocket is the cost to get there. I yeah. Once you're there, they pay for your your room and your board and your food.
0: Yeah. The guy was like, "Yeah, man, this is a great." Why? That guess it's not how they talk, but he was like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah.
0: "Anyway." In my mind, some Rasta gentleman told me it was a great time and to take care of. You know, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny, but he really liked his his job or his volunteer work.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's just amazing. And the island that he specifically worked in had tons of um, local seabirds and uh, waterfowl that were just there. And it was just him and the wildlife and uh, Mm oh, what I would give to have his job even just for, you know, a month or so. Right.
0: And I think... I I don't know I'm gonna do you feel like this like I feel like now that I'm older I look back on my young self and I'm like man did I even really appreciate it that much I mean I did but at the time this young 21 year old like you know what I mean just first time out of the country but now I look back and I thought wow that's probably one of the, one of the most amazing experiences of my life yeah
1: <clears throat> it's, I I mean when I explain to people that I've been there and what we went there for um mm-hmm. just to study the island endemic species and to be able to see you know the coco de mar trees and...
0: oh to talk about them um talk talk about the nuts <laughs> so well i mean, the... I mean they're not the nuts but the, no but no, the... they are yeah yeah nuts coco de mar nut. yeah yes
1: so um I so actually... imagine
0: Nicki minaj
1: <laughs> <laughs> i actually ended up with one of those i bought a, a coco de mar nut keychain me too
0: me too um a magnet
1: oh and it looks it looks like a butt (laughs) but and i had it on my keychain forever and people would always ask me like what is on your keychain and i'd be like oh i was almost offended like it's a coco de marna and they're Mm -hmm. like what no, mm-hmm. that's a but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
1: so it,
0: please Google it. If, if, if you're listening right now, well, uh, if, if you're driving, don't. But if you're <laughs> listening at home, if you're stationary, Google the Coco de Mar nut. Yeah, see, it's interesting. It, it,
1: it's a, a species that is only found on the Seychelles Islands. Mm-hmm. And they have a national forest there. And they have several of the trees there. And so we were able to see oh, some man. of the real Coco de Mar nuts growing mm-hmm. on these trees. And it was, um, it was just amazing it's essentially it really is paradise when you go there.
0: And I read in in my Seychelles book they said that that they think that's the the origin of the Garden of Eden from the Bible. Wow. That actual yeah. forest. Yeah, in in my Seychelles travel book. That's like that's that's, that's a theory. And that would make sense to me.
1: Yeah, cuz it's just it's just beautiful. Oh, the trees are huge. Yeah, they are they just tower over you. Oh
0: my goodness. And
1: I mean it's tropical, so mm-hmm. it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful place.
0: Beautiful. Geckos everywhere. Oh,
1: that was my favorite. Our first night there, and there was geckos on the walls mm-hmm. of our house, and I'm, some people probably wouldn't have appreciated it as much, but <laughs> us being a group of young biologists in the making, uh-huh. we were all thrilled to be able to see the, the geckos on the walls, mm. and the, the neighbor with the Aldabra tortoises. In oh my goodness,
0: that was insane!
1: And the, you know the local the local fishermen coming up and bringing all their catch to be able to see some of the local species
0: yeah that was hard i i I remember that night clearly because just to give you you guys an example dan and i you know young 20 somethings we just i I think at night just to go and i don't know just explore we went to down the road to this fisherman's house or just a house right on the ocean right on the indian ocean and they brought in a catch and I'll never forget that. That was hard. They brought in several fish. They had a they had a barracuda that they had killed. Mm-hmm. I mean not but obviously harvested, they had, caught, yeah. they had caught, and then they had a shark. Remember they
1: had that? A, a reef shark. I oh. think it was a black tipped reef shark.
0: Yeah, that was bad. I'll never forget that.
1: And they we asked I remember asking them, is mm-hmm. is that shark dead? As they were, because they're carrying all their yeah. catch and they were like, "Oh yes, yes, that's that shark is dead." No, and it was not dead. No, they began to harvest the shark right there on the beach. That in front was horrible. Of us, you and, and I couldn't even. Yeah, we did. We couldn't stay. Yeah, no. Us being the animal lovers that we are, we. We had to yeah. we had to walk away from that,
0: but that is their culture. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, I'm yeah. sure they look at us. You know, I mean, we eat hamburgers and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, it's the so same. You it's know, very that's
1: true. It's essentially yeah, that is their culture, and that is you know that is the food that they eat, and they
0: were that was not hard to yeah. That was it
1: was just hard for us. I think
0: yeah, just to see a shark, and we were like
1: oh, we were so excited. Uh, yeah, because
0: I remember shark. that we're like oh, there's a shark, and then they're like oh yeah, and then yeah,
1: and then they yeah started yeah. to harvest the shark and yeah. He didn't appear to be No. Appeared to be dead.
0: Not at all. So, and, and this is a great segue. Thank you so much for doing this. Let's talk about the food really quick. We have a couple oh. people interested. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, <clears throat> the Seco Islands, being, <laughs> being islands, um, I mean, it makes sense that the majority of what they eat comes from the ocean. So, um, it's primarily seafood. So, fish. Which I happen to not really be a fan of. Oh. <laughs> so, needless to say that I was starving <laughs> 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 while well, we were on the islands. But this this is um, kind of the point that you brought up. Like, we were really young. And um, at that point, I wasn't even willing to even try to, to taste any of this food. And now, if I was to go back, I certainly would, would definitely try everything. Regardless of whether I liked it or not, I would definitely taste it because... I feel like food is a huge part of culture mm-hmm. and we bypassed that because we were just so dead set on only being there for the wildlife. So,
0: yeah, but like not when the wildlife's on the dinner table. No. <laughs> like, do you remember the barracuda oh, with the yeah. tomato sauce on it and the head was on and oh. I just was like, "Oh my gosh." But the our, our fellow students said it was some of the best fish they've ever had in their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah, everybody did agree that it was oh. amazing. I just wasn't willing wasn't willing to eat it.
0: Yeah. So, what did you survive on in the Seychelles? Mm, bread. <laughs> <laughs> bread and booze. <laughs> and
1: fruit. Bread, oh, and
0: fruit, fruit, and booze. And mind you, there's only w- only one bathroom in the house. <laughs> no, two. two. Two bathrooms <laughs> for eleven people. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Uh, and one of the bathrooms was in our room. It was awful. <laughs>
1: It wasn't even a real bathroom. It was yeah. just like a, a toilet in the corner of the it, room. In the <laughs> toilet in
0: the corner of the room, so I would wake up, you would wake up, and we would hear someone <laughs> go to the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe we're we'll giving the listeners too much. Anyway, we'll focus. <laughs> we'll focus more on the animal side. Oh goodness! So, I mean, mind you, but this is a great. I mean, just for listeners like right now listening to this podcast, going to Boise State opened up so many doors for us. We never would have been able to do that experience.
1: No, never, never. And and to look back now, the the cost just to go to those islands is astronomical.
0: Fifteen and a half thousand back in the day.
1: Just and we for what we did. Yeah, and we went. You know, we bought our own plane tickets and then, you know, paid a small fee to mm-hmm. go. And mm-hmm. we would have never been able to do that on our owns. So I don't think. Um, I mean, unless I win the lottery.
0: What was your favorite experience?
1: Mm, my, f- You know, honestly, it was probably the fruit bats.
0: <gasps> oh, I forgot about them.
1: It was probably the fruit bats. I mean, we... Went from island to island, and there was, like, tons of exposure to the fish and to the birds, and I really think that it was the fruit bats that were my favorite. hmm My favorite. We got to, there was a, essentially a local who, f- who feeds this group of them, and they, they're wild, but they come in every single night. And he feeds them and they just they choose to house themselves there. They live there. Do I you guess. believe that? I
0: I always wondered that. Like I looked back on that and I was like, Do you think he's telling the truth?
1: But maybe I don't know. I mean the yeah. the the door was open to the little caged <laughs> <themed laughs> yeah. area when yeah. we got there and they yeah. didn't didn't seem like they wanted to leave, but I mean, you're right. Who knows? Honestly, (laughs) It could have just essentially been like a tourist attraction. But Mm -hmm. they did tell us that they don't really get many tourists on these islands.
0: You're right. No, I I think I believe him. Like, literally, just that's, yeah. I mean, the fruit bats come, and it's interesting because they come from another island.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they fly all the way over, and Mm -hmm. papaya must be really good on that island. Oh, man. It It was pretty good. It was super cool. If you
0: haven't had the chance, oh, and I could actually plug you. Diane was my filmmaker. So if you go to YouTube, I'll put it in my in the episode notes, you could take a look at our Seychelles video. It's called the Seychelles or Baxi," and Diane helped me out. She filmed and that was fun. You could actually see, see the fruit bats. That was, was such a good time. Yeah, it was
1: a blast. It oh, was that a blast. was good.
0: Feeding them and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, feeding them the different fruits. We were worried that are they gonna bite us? And no. Mm-hmm. He's like, No, they're just gonna take mm-hmm. the fruit from you and mm-hmm. And that's all that they really care about so yeah yeah, it was amazing
0: talk a little bit about the seychelles they're they're really they they have been hit by some invasive species including the barn owl
1: yeah so um yeah the barn owl and the another crazy one something that i actually owned as a pet um the indian parakeets really i didn't know this they um the indian ring neck parakeet and the indian rose rose ring parakeet i believe um, are two species that have come in and they outcompete some of the local species, and so they are considered an invasive species and they want them gone, but uh, there's not a whole lot they can do it, do about it because they're there. yeah, so yeah there's they're out competing some of the the local shorebirds for not only food but for nesting locations. And in turn, that's pushing these birds to try to use another invasive species. They're these, I can't remember what they're called, but it's a, it's a tree and they make these sappy, sticky seeds. And so the birds have been pushed to try to nest in these trees. And in which case they get these seeds stuck in their feathers. And, um, we actually witnessed one when we were there that was on the ground and he was covered in seeds. And essentially, um, our guide told us that he, that bird would die. Because there's no way for him to preen the They these just suffocate, right? They just out. like <clears throat> Yeah, it just covers his covers the body, the bird can no longer fly because it's stuck in the in the feathers. So the bird is basically stuck on the ground in these sappy, sticky seeds. And mm-hmm. that's where the bird will die.
0: Yeah. And mind you, I mean, the seychelles are home to I mean, they're in, basically home to endemic species that are found nowhere else on Earth. Like, this is a bird watcher's paradise.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, We there was a couple of gals that were there that um, went specifically just for the birds, mm-hmm. and they were just in heaven. The paradise the bird. The paradise. Yeah, paradise there was a, I think there was a paradise bird. bird
0: that, that that Linnell saw. There's only, like, a few in the world, that she saw it twice. And she was the just, the yeah.
1: And she managed to get a photograph of one of them, mm-hmm. and she was just... She was in paradise.
0: (laughs) See, (laughs) that wasn't cheesy. It's so crazy, because, like, I wish, like, back in the day, like, I guess when we were young and stuff, I was so focused on the big, iconic animals of the Seychelles, like the Adabra Tauruses. I was sold. Like, that's my focus. Looking back, I'm kind of like, man, it would have been cool to, like, go search for a paradise bird.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with you. I would have, you know, I would have ended up on the islands. Like, if I went now, now, I would go with a checklist
0: oh that's a good idea and and I
1: would have been checking off all the species I would have been so excited to see a new species when I did and photograph it and mark it off my checklist and Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely I mean I think that that's that's a huge thing for most wildlife lovers Mm -hmm. in general not just biologists is that if you get the opportunity to go go and, and enjoy all of
0: the wildlife all of it even if you're not even interested, there might be some... Like, for instance, I found a new fascination for birds. I love, Like, recently, right? I
1: love birds. Yeah. I love birds. And bird watching. And I even got my, my parents hooked on it. Really? Yeah. They have now put up feeders in their backyard. And they watch... They feed all the all the sparrows and the songbirds. And they've got hawks that come in and, oh, and yeah. eat. The songbirds? Yes. And... Oh! And they they love it. Yeah. Like, just the bird watching in general. Mm-hmm. And it's... I would have never known that I had this passion if I hadn't continued to pursue my love for biology. Mm -hmm.
0: That's great. That's awesome. So let's talk about something I'm very, very envious about. I'm still a little bitter. Did you notice it when I walked in your house? I'm kind of like, hey, nice to see you, Diane. (laughs) It's been a while. But I'm just kidding. But you've been to India and you have done one of my lifelong dreams and goals of seeing wild tigers. And there are... Less than, like, what, 3,000, if that, left in the wild. I mean, you literally have seen one of the rarest animals on Earth. Tell us about the experience in India, how you were able to go on this incredible trip, and just about all the wildlife you saw in India.
1: So India was... It was a dream that I didn't even know I had until it presented itself um, through Boise State, actually. And when I was given the opportunity to go, I was told that we were going to be going to study... Um, endangered vultures and so that was the goal was to do some research on these birds before we go over and then that's what we were going to be looking for but the sad fact is, is when we got there there are so few of these vultures in india that we only saw a handful of them the whole time we were there but so with these vultures there's professor um Dr. Baysh, well, Professor Mark Bayshard. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to call him Dr. Bayshard. Dr. Um, B. He is the one who took us over there to see these birds, and he works closely uh, with Munir Varani, Dr. Munir Varani, who is this amazing wildlife biologist. And
0: Did you know he got promoted? He's the vice president of the Peregrine Fund right now.
1: Wow. Yeah, no, I, I didn't me. know. Yes. That's amazing, and he deserves it. He definitely deserves it. He is an amazing person, Mm -hmm. and he has done so much work in terms of raptor biology Mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. But So he, I was lucky enough that I was able to meet him on this trip and Mm -hmm. um, to learn more about these endangered vultures and the effect that uh, drug Diclofenac is having on their populations.
0: So really quick, tell our listeners what is going on with the Asian and African vultures.
1: So there was a huge decline um, in their populations, and it was they found that it was due to a drug called diclofenac, which is an anti-inflammatory drug, and a lot of people were using it on you know cattle, and then in turn when the cattle would would die, the vultures would come in and eat eat the cattle, mm-hmm. and then they would become poisoned with diclofenac and they would die from it, so their populations. Drastically declined because they didn't know that diclofenac was so <clears throat> deadly, and essentially was, to these vultures. And wasn't
0: like some species, like ninety five percent of a decline, like they, it was
1: insane. Yeah, they the populations drastically declined, and since then they have banned the drug diclofenac, and populations have seen seemed to stabilize. Mm-hmm. But we have yet to see an increase. And we're hoping now that you know the drug is banned, that mm. hopefully these vultures will start to recover.
0: Well, and in Asia, especially in, in India, in,
1: in yeah, in, in India, India's. don't
0: they rely on these birds? I mean, obviously to, to clean up the carcasses, but also even for sky burials.
1: Yeah. So these talk about that. Mm, so these birds are uh, they're essentially the cleanup crew. So in areas where the vultures had essentially kept things pretty clean, now there are tons and tons of carcasses because there aren't enough vultures to clean these areas up. And then there's also, yes, yeah, so sky burials. So I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on sky burials. <laughs> but as, as far as I'm aware, when somebody passes away and they want to do a sky burial, they'll take the body up to a cliff area and they lay the body out and the vultures come and consume the carcass and in which case that it is considered as a sky burial. I, yes, that's how
0: I, that's how um Dr. Verani wants to go, he told me.
1: I mean, I think that it's a great way to mm-hmm. to go, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're essentially putting your putting your <laughs> your not... body back into the environment. Yeah. Is yeah. I mean the way that to look at it. Yeah.
0: And it's such a trickle down effect because with the lack of vultures, then you have a lot of, you know, feral dogs is a horrible problem right yeah, and they spread and,
1: and they have a lot of them have um like mange microscopic mites, okay, and then they're passing that from from dog to dog as well as other diseases and so in order mm-hmm. to keep disease down, we really need these these vultures, this essentially the the garbage men of the environmental mm-hmm. um,
0: that don't get a lot of credit at no, all
1: no no and and i I think through most. Like publicity of vultures are seen as these gross, dirty creatures mm-hmm. and they're nasty and they're ugly, but in, in all actuality, without them, you know, the dumps are getting bigger. You know, they yeah. really are the garbage men the spread of disease and, and disease is increasing as well as, as other issues in the animal world. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and, and I'm going to be honest with you when I, You know, first started the biology program at Boise State. I'm sure when you did, I had no idea there was such a huge vulture crisis. Did you? No. Like at
1: all. No, I had no idea. No idea. And, And even just when I was given the opportunity to go to India and I had done a little bit of research, I knew that these birds were declining in population and that hopefully they were, you know, starting to stabilize. But I expected to at least experience seeing more of these birds while we were there and it was so rare that when we did see one, everybody would be like essentially jumping up and down, like, really like hitting each other, like, look, 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 there's one white backed vulture in the train, really, like, there's oh my gosh, oh my gosh, look, 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 there's two birds, like it was the sightings were so few and far in between that it was it it certainly got my attention to know that these birds were it's that that far down that they are that endangered yeah so
0: dr brawny said some fact it just got me like they're one of the most endangered group of vertebrate species on this planet
1: i believe that isn't that
0: crazy yeah just to i mean you should feel so fortunate to be able to see them and i'm happy they've taken action and now they're trying to take the same action in africa but it's
1: a little bit of a different story in africa it's a
0: different story and they're trying to you know they're trying their best but it's it's hard it's hard going up you know going up against you know the poisoning you know the predator and, and yeah. human conflict with the poisoning of the vultures there it's so bad and the peregrine Fund and dr Varani and everyone there is trying to really help try to raise awareness in the community so yeah
1: it's, yeah it's huge it's huge for sure
0: yeah well very cool okay so you got to see three vultures
1: <laughs> was very. We got to see. I would say a small handful. Okay, of small handful of vulture.
0: How um, was how was India? I've never been. I hear there's a lot of people.
1: Uh, amazing. 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 Mm-hmm. And and maybe others would disagree with me, but I truly did not want to leave. Like really? it's one of the most beautiful places in the world, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. And mm-hmm. I mean, we went to. The Seychelles Islands, which is paradise, and then mm. to go from that to India and to see these overpopulated cities, <clears throat> but then these beautiful forested areas just filled with wildlife. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience.
0: So you would choose India over the Seychelles? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a really tough question, honestly, <laughs> because I love them both, but for different reasons. mm mm-hmm. And I think that India, I was a little bit more educated by the time that I I went there, and so I was able to experience more of the culture, and I was able to en- enjoy more of the wildlife while I was there. So it was it was an amazing experience, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, especially the tiger sightings. Yeah. That's what's...
0: <laughs> God, such a turd <laughs> you totally like built that up and you looked at me like especially the tiger side.
1: <laughs> I remember specifically taking a, this video of we were in a in the back of this I always called them jeeps but they're essentially four by four vehicles mm-hmm. that don't have um, like a top on them so I I just call them jeeps because that's mm-hmm. probably the American equivalent mm-hmm. and uh, I was riding in the back and we're our driver is just you know driving kind of fast down this dirt road and we're bumping along and we were on our way to go see a tiger that he knew was on our on our track like it was in the road um uh, up ahead of us so he was hurrying to get there and i remember turning on my video camera and in the video i specifically say corbin you're going to be so, <laughs> you're going to be so jealous <laughs> i
0: haven't even seen this video that's the worst part about this
1: and so, um, yeah, I w- we were able to see, I think I saw eight different tigers.
0: Really? Now, t- talk about this really quick, because I thought this was interest- um, ugh, interesting. In Africa, it. W- I mean, they pretty much give us free reign. I mean, you know, there's roads you follow, but we had a permit to go off and this and that, and it wasn't so controlled. But t- after talking to you, when I had an uh, episode two, I had Val on the podcast talking about her adventure seeing tigers in India. And it's so regulated. Like you have a certain amount of time, right? When you go into the reserves.
1: Yeah. So the reserves, it all, they start at the same time. So it's kind of crazy. All the Jeeps, Jeeps, vehicles Uh have to be at the gate at a specific time. They go and check everybody's information to make sure that everybody is, has the okay to go into the park. Oh, and then, um, once everybody's been checked, they open the gates and you go in. Um, however, each vehicle is given a designated route and oh. so you're only allowed to stay on that route. So even if there is a tiger on, say, Route A and you're on route C, you, you can't go you can't go to see it. You have you to You can't st- at all? No. You, you can't ha-
0: talk to your driver and you say You hey. have to
1: stay on your designated route. However, there is a huge problem and a lot of the guides or the drivers have gotten in trouble because um they will take cash money to go on these other um these other routes so that Mm. their whoever their tourists are essentially can see the tigers and it's they get banned from the park for a year so they essentially will if if they get caught doing it they lose their job Mm. and then they're banned from working for any other company Mm -hmm. being a driver for a full year
0: see but here's the deal though (laughs) and i know i should not be supporting that but if I had a 20 in my pocket, <laughs> they said, listen, there's a Tiger on Trail A, it would be so <laughs> tempting. <laughs> you, you agree, right? I mean, it'd be so
1: tempting. To it, be, would be, it would be pretty tempting. It would be tempting. tempting,
0: but I understand you should not do this. And but, well, and the
1: logistics behind it is um, there's only a certain number of vehicles allowed on each route, mm. and then, I mean, being, you know, looking at it from the Tiger's perspective, if the vehicles were allowed to go anywhere and everywhere mm-hmm. there's already kind of a bombardment of vehicles around a tiger sighting as is um if the vehicles were allowed to go anywhere i can only imagine that that number would have doubled or tripled mm-hmm. um and so that's that's a large amount of vehicles in one area mm-hmm. surrounding you know this one tiger it is
0: did that and and, and i agree and i probably shouldn't have made that joke cuz i mean it is good that they regulate that cuz in africa i remember it was so crazy because I had this romantic. When I first went to Africa, I had this romanticized vision of Africa where you see, you know, a National Geographic, you see, you know, just these animals in the open plains, this and that, and you never see all the vehicles surrounding it. So I remember we, we, we saw a cheetah my first time, and there's tons of vehicles just around. The, the, the cheetah was under some small bush, and then you just have vehicles circled around, and everyone's trying to get their pictures, and it totally was like, it was kind of weird for me. Like, I was... Yeah. Was that like with you with tigers? Were you yeah. kind of like, oh...
1: It was kind of a... So, the our first tiger sighting that we saw, the tiger was clear up on this ridge. Uh-huh. Um, and so, from our vehicle, he was just a tiny little... Like, Speck. Yeah, just as You knew... You could see that it was a tiger, but he was quite a distance off of the path. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> And he was actually... Um, I guess he was injured, and so oh. that 's why he was recovering. The vets had already checked him out uh-huh. um, and so that 's why he was where he was. but he was so far away that that almost seemed more real to me than um the other tiger sightings where there would be a tiger in in our direct path on the road, and there would be you know ten or ten vehicles or so all surrounding mm-hmm. this tiger trying to Get you know each person the perfect photograph, and yeah it 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 takes a lot out of it mm-hmm. for me at least yes.
0: and i I do have to point out though, like put this disclaimer <laughs> that like because of tourists like us and those people that 's why this place is still around i mean yeah. That, that's, that's yeah the, that's you know.
1: essentially yeah it's bringing in revenue for <clears throat> these mm-hmm. reserves, mm-hmm. and so it does it it definitely serves a purpose
0: so your first tiger was was on a ridge he was on a ridge <sighs> were you just like
1: oh. We were ecstatic. Everybody in the vehicle was ecstatic. And, um, you know, my camera was was decent enough that I was uh able to zoom in and get a fairly good photograph of the tiger. Really? And I was just, it it was just one of the most amazing experiences because up until this point, you know, the only tigers that I had seen were in zoos, Mm -hmm. you know, in their designated locations. And... So to be able to see one and know that he is out there and he is hunting and this is where he is mm. meant to be, it was it was amazing.
0: Yes. And I and I read the saddest thing the other day, that there are more captive tigers kept in Texas as pets, not at zoos. And I think zoos do a great job at conservation work, and I think it's great. I mean, like, you know, I'm talking about private owners who have tigers in backyards. There are more tigers in, like, backyards in Texas than in the wild. Isn't yeah. that insane?
1: That's sad. That's really it sad.
0: sad. It is sad. Yeah. But to see one in the wild,
1: to just... It was... Um, and and the crazy thing is, is every sighting after was better. Yeah. The sightings just got better and better. Just, uh,
0: did it take a while? Were you just in the vehicle forever and then all of a sudden... So, a...
1: generally we would do two drives a day. Mm-hmm. So, um, we would go out in the mornings and we would be... I think we were in the park for three Three hours, I think, in the mornings and then three hours in the evening. And Mm -hmm. it might have been a little bit longer because it's been a while since I've been there. So, Mm -hmm. um, generally, most of our sightings would be in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, But I almost saw a tiger every single day, whether it be in the morning or in the evening. It was...
0: That's luck. Because some people go there and they don't see
1: them. (laughs) They don't. Yeah. It was... It truly was amazing. I did miss... um, there was one day I wasn't feeling real well and so I I opted to kind of stay in for the evening mm-hmm. and I missed the best tiger sighting. Oh, really? Um yeah, there was a tiger literally walking in the road straight towards the vehicle. Oh, and they goodness. actually had to back up because the tiger had gotten so close. Wow. And so I I missed that sighting, but I had seen a a tiger every single day that mm-hmm. we had gone out into the parks and so I really couldn't complain too much because I had missed one sighting. Yeah. But um, amazing, definitely an amazing experience.
0: What was the what was something that you learned about tigers that you didn't know before going to India?
1: Um, So I don't know necessarily if it's about tigers or more so just India in general. Yeah. But these the reserves are all surrounded by this like eight foot tall fence. Really. And I, you know, you assume it's to keep the animals in, Uh so that the animals are. Designated in this area, and mm-hmm. so you you tend to think like, oh, it's more like a zoo structure. You know, they're only allowed to go in specific areas. But then, when you start talking to your guide, your, the naturalists, and you start talking to your driver, they actually tell you that the fence is to keep people out. It's it's not to keep the tigers in, and the tigers can actually leave the park, and they do leave the park. Um, they just jump right over the fence.
0: Really? So is this just surrounded by villages or a city? Yeah. Like...
1: So most of the reserves generally have villages right outside the, the parks themselves. Okay. Um, but people are not allowed to enter the park uh, without prior authorization. So there's not just random people driving mm-hmm. through the reserves. There's generally one one house, from my understanding, inside the reserve Mm -hmm. and that person is there's like one person that's designated to live there and kind of just keeps an eye on things that are going on Mm -hmm. uh probably very similar to some of like the park rangers that we have um here in the states Mm -hmm. where they they'll live on site Mm -hmm. and just kind of take care of things and make sure that you know there aren't poachers in the parks make sure that people aren't in there during hours they're not allowed to be in there Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's a And the tigers need a lot of room, too. I'm sure the... I mean, a lot of room.
1: Yeah, so that's a a huge problem that they're actually having, because these reserves are so small, and the tigers are kind of encroaching on the human environments, and, you know, they're taking cattle, which, you know, the locals are not too fond of, and so it's this... It's I believe it's still kind of like a debate back and forth on what they should really do about it because the tigers require such large areas and there's other wildlife there too, such as like the leopards Mm -hmm. and the the tiger populations when the tiger populations are increasing and doing really well. Well, it's pushing the leopard populations out of their natural habitat and into Mm -hmm. more of the human areas. Suburbia. And then, yeah. And so then it's causing problems with leopards, you know, trying to eat livestock, or being in a village, and then people are wanting to kill this leopard because it's in their, you know, in their homes or in their backyards, and so it's mm-hmm. causing further issues.
0: hmm Yeah, that's a serious thing, man. I read this interesting article in National Geographic a few months ago, just about how leopards are doing well in this in in India, in cities, taking off, uh, basically eating dogs and cats.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> there. Yeah. They're, uh, there's there's definitely a large enough feral dog population mm-hmm. in India that I can certainly see leopards doing well on <laughs> dogs and cats and livestock. And humans people do they, don't like it.
0: Do they attack humans that often? I don't think so. I mean, a few.
1: Um, I mean, I'm sure that they do, but I feel like most of them are. Um, where essentially it just ends up in the village and then the people are trying to get it out of the village mm. and then that's when issues tend to happen mm-hmm. because there's just there's this conflict. hmm Who's, whose territory is it really, I guess, is the bigger question. Yeah. And so it's a it's a big it's a big problem in places like India where their populations are so huge for people and then when the animals start doing better themselves then we start crossing lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Would you go back to India?
1: Oh, I would go back in a heartbeat. Wow, that's great. I would go back in a heartbeat. The And not only just for the wildlife, which I just thought was amazing, but for the culture itself and the food.
0: Ooh, the food's better than the food. Seychelles.
1: Uh, <laughs> I loved the food. I had learned from my experience in the Seychelles um, to try the food first and ask questions later. Oh, so you didn't even
0: know what was no. what? Okay, that that's smart.
1: So most of... The, I mean, they, it's it's primarily like curries love, and dishes huh? like that. So I would... I'd, at first, I'd ask how spicy it was.
0: Ooh, <laughs> I heard that it was really spicy. It's very,
1: very spicy. And so generally, most of the dishes that were really... That they said were spicy, I tried to avoid because mm-hmm. I my palate just couldn't handle them. But the other dishes... I would try them, and then I'd say, you know, oh, I don't like this one, or oh, I do like this one. What is it? And Mm -hmm. then they would tell me what it was. We did eat a lot of goat, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: And that's the most consumed meat in the world, I found out. So,
1: yeah. So, they call it mutton. Mutton. Mutton, yeah. Which generally refers to adult sheep, but in cases in India, it's considered goat.
0: Okay, and did it taste similar, like to the? I've never had goat, but apparently a bunch of people around here, even where I live in Marcy, eat it.
1: Um, I mean, it's in a curry, so I feel like it picks up most of the flavors of whatever the spices are, whatever's in the curry. So the only difference was really kind of the texture of the meat, I think. Yeah, but I mean, it was.
0: So you'd be down if I brought over a goat steak and.
1: I mean, I don't know if it in a steak form.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If it's covered in spices. But
1: in a a curry, it's delicious.
0: Yeah, okay. Very interesting. So I think I kind of learned we were so hungry in the Seychelles. I remember we both wanted a cheeseburger.
1: Oh, so bad. (laughs) (laughs) And we went to that little mart. Oh, yes. And there was, um, you know, refrigerators, like it was kind of an odd little market Mm -hmm. because there was like regular size refrigerators Mm. and you opened them up and it was like, Goat leg.
0: Uh huh. Next to ice cream. Did they have ice cream? Yeah. Or something? yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so it was just kind of odd. But yeah. we, we did find a pizza place.
0: <gasps> oh, well. Really quick, I want to say because we had a cheeseburger from that place, and it was not a cheeseburger. It was- you, <laughs> <laughs> you, and, you and I remember eating it, and I was like, "This. Uh, this
1: isn't good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this is, but it's not a burger.
0: But." I would have to say the pizza that we had in the Seychelles, it took over an hour to get.
1: Oh, my gosh. We have, I think we have a video of it. Yes. Where we asked everybody in the house, because everybody was making fun of us for starving to Uh death. Uh And it had been, they told us, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it had now been 45, and the pizza still hadn't shown up. And everybody was in agreement that the pizza was not coming. Oh, yep. And we were so sad.
0: So hungry. And, sad. and so
1: hungry because we didn't even choose to join in on the little bit of food that we would have eaten at dinner time because we thought we were getting a pizza.
0: <laughs> it was so funny because I remember we asked everyone, anyone else want to pitch it on the pizza? Everyone's like, no, we're good. That's not coming. And when it showed up, everyone's like, oh, oh
1: everybody wanted a piece. Yes. Can I have a piece of that? No! I'm I'm trying to...
0: Thinking back now in my older self, we should have gotten like three pizzas. I don't know
1: why we didn't. Like,
0: why did we not... For more people? Like, why did we we eat the whole pizza?
1: Yeah, it was gone. Like, in an instant. I remember Val. I felt bad. Val asked for a bite. She had a piece of crust.
0: (laughs) I can't... I think it was your piece of crust. I'm not giving this up. We were... Now, mind you folks, just listeners, we were so hungry... Like, we had not had, like, I was dreaming of, like, Pizza Hut and <laughs> hot wings, and, like, at night, we were so hungry. I mean, we were literally eating f- uh, bread, bread. and, and rice. And, and, well yeah, I, I don't think I even, and then, like, spaghetti with something weird in it with the Spam. Spaghetti was, and Spam. Yeah, it
1: was. It was Spam,
0: Spaghetti. Spam, Spaghetti. That was, yeah, so we were dreaming, and this was near the end of our time in the Seychelles. I think it was
1: our last night.
0: Yeah, and we were like, we're going to do it.
1: We're gonna order this. We pizza. should have ordered three this or four. This expensive pizza, but it was How much so was boring. it? I don't even remember. I don't remember either. I think it was equivalent to probably about twenty American dollars.
0: We should have bought more. We I don't should know have bought why. more. I mean, yeah, I think we're just better towards everyone else. <laughs> anyway, well, so basically, so you went on to pursue your master's degree, and you have a bunch of field work with wildlife, and you were out catching raptors and see with rattlesnakes and I'm like wait what is Diane doing right now so tell us a little bit about that
1: for in terms of field work I guess I started with so during my master's program I did work with burrowing owls oh so I started with these subterranean dwelling owls which I still am in love with I don't think I can ever get over how adorable these owls are. For the
0: listeners, tell them, what is a burrowing owl? A lot of people haven't heard of them.
1: So they're, well, like I said, they're subterranean. (laughs) (laughs) Owls, um, they nest in these burrows in the ground that are dug typically by mammals. Mm -hmm. So in this area, like badgers and the ground squirrels dig holes. And the owls choose these areas as burrows to nest in. Mm -hmm. And uh, Idaho... In particular, the Morley Nelson Birds of Prey National Conservation Area is a huge area for these birds to come up and nest in. However, um, Boise State... So this is, this is kind of exciting, actually, for me to talk about. I haven't really talked about this yet. So um, in the early 90s, these burrows were installed. So these artificial burrows were put in and in different tunnel size and different configuration for chamber So essentially they put out like this small, um, oh gosh, I can't even think of the size configuration right now, but it's essentially like a small storage tote, Mm -hmm. um, five gallon buckets, and then the big storage totes that you would like have in your garage. Mm -hmm. And they put these in the ground and buried them with two different sizes of this um, tubing for these owls to use. And so this is what makes up these artificial burrows. And they've been super successful. Um, oh. the burrowing owls love these, and so this has made it very easy to study the species. Here so do in you Idaho. use like
0: one large one, one small one? Is that what it is? Did so, do you guys see which they prefer? so
1: in different um, there are different configurations all around out there, so there are some configurations where the owls ex- have three choices, so they can choose the large, the medium, or the small chamber size mm-hmm. and then the tunnel size differs large or sm- or small mm-hmm. so they have all of these choices out there for these birds to pick and my work specifically was looking at nest site imprinting so i was looking at whether or not these owls choose their nesting area based on what they were hatched in so if for example if a female bird was hatched in a medium-sized chamber with a small tunnel is that what she is going to subsequently choose when she comes back and decides to nest in this area and so it was super exciting for me to be able to you know go out and double check some of these burrows to make sure that what what we have on paper essentially is what's really out there and to see what these birds are selecting. And um, we did find that there is nest site imprinting happening. Really? But it is, it is very minimal. It's only with the females. And it's not such a large impact that the birds won't nest if there's nothing else available. Which is good news. Mm-hmm. Because this means that when airports... Um, so airports have a huge problem with burrowing owls wanting to nest in those areas. So if they want to move a population... They certainly can because these birds aren't mm-hmm. necessarily imprinting to the to the point where they will not choose something else. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good news that even though there is a, a slight You know, trend for imprinting for the females, it's not detrimental to their population.
0: But they would choose, like, a medium household if they grew up in one over a large one.
1: So um, we didn't actually find that there was any trend for chamber size. It was simply the tunnel size. Tunnel size. Okay. Which makes sense as uh, they were selecting for the smaller, you know, if they were hatched in a smaller tunnel, Mm -hmm. then they chose to subsequently pick the smaller tunnel and uh, large to large but that is what they would have been seeing because they were coming they come up above ground when they're little and then they you know go back underground to hide from predators you know and, or when you know mom tells them to mm-hmm. and so that is kind of what they're seeing versus when they're underground it's just kind of dark down there mm-hmm. so it, it does make sense that they would be selecting more selective for tunnel size than chamber size is
0: this is this the only species of owl that burrows? Is that a stupid question? I'm just like trying to...
1: It is the only species of owl that I know that burrows. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you looked at me like I was saying a stupid question. I was so going to say, I didn't I there, don't think so. There's,
1: yeah, there's a lot of species of owls that um, are cavity nesters. Oh, okay. Which is, I think, pretty common among most owl species. But it's the only owl species that I know that is... That is in the ground, hence their name. Bro- what a the unique
0: evolutionary owl. advantage! You know what I mean. I'm just like thinking of like how it's just such an interesting bird. And I've have you ever? I mean, obviously you've seen wild ones. I've never seen a wild one here in Idaho.
1: Oh, they're all over. Really? They're all Where? Over. Um, even out where you where you, I think you live, there well, don't a bunch give the exact
0: address for listeners. <laughs> <laughs> at seven two two. No.
1: <laughs> really? So, where I live in the um, Snake River area, and there's tons and tons of them out. You know, even just. Uh, in the Cuna area, but I mean, you could just go literally for a drive and just keep your eyes open, and really? you'll, you'll see them. Sometimes they'll um, they'll post on like fence posts. They'll perch up there, okay, and just kind of hang out. And then they'll, you know, if they think that danger is coming, they'll dive back into their burrows.
0: I've never seen one. Maybe it's... I feel like I'm pretty observant, but maybe I'm not if I've never... I And I'm out in the... I'm out in the country a lot. I've never seen one.
1: Yeah, maybe you're not observant. I don't enough. think so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, we're going to go on a ride and we're, we're going to hopefully see a burrowing now. So for my listeners who don't live in Idaho or, you know, in the Treasure Valley area, can you find them anywhere else in
1: North America? Um. Yeah, so okay. they... Yeah, they... Definitely through the northwest essentially. Okay. There's quite a few populations. Mm-hmm. And then um back east there's populations. They actually have implemented artificial burrows even in Florida. Oh, okay. So yeah. So there's there's they're kind of sporadic over the the U.S., but they're definitely out there, and you should definitely look to see if they're in your local area because they're pretty amazing and a pretty adorable species. I would say
0: very adorable, and I'm—I feel like I'm pretty observant. I'm not like trying to defend myself against the observancy. I always love the birds of prey, like you know, I obviously notice the kestrels all the time—the small little falcons you see on fence post or telephone lines and yeah stuff. I, th-
1: I think the big thing with burrowing owls though is you've got to be looking a little bit more ground. towards the ground well, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: thank you. <laughs> so you well i am driving but i mean yeah
1: <laughs> that's interesting yeah so and they're i mean they i've done driving surveys with these birds where and playback calls where you're essentially you're you're playing a burrowing owl making some type of a noise and then you listen for a response and these birds are very responsive owls in general tend to be more responsive uh to hearing their own calls and so maybe that is something that uh you should you should try out
0: yeah i think would be i would love to do something like that
1: and be able to just go out. Yeah, you yep. definitely should. Okay. You should.
0: Well, you and I have to get together.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to we're gonna go. we to pack
0: up the husband. I'll pack up the wife. And we'll... <laughs> <laughs> we can drop them off at the winery while you and I go search for a burrowing owls. <laughs> So, what is their number one predator? I mean, these are tiny. Like for listeners who've never heard of a burrowing owl, I'm just like they're tiny little little. They look like little furbies to me.
1: Yeah, they're, like how big? Right size. I mean, like
0: I, I mean the listeners can't see. I mean,
1: no, what, yeah, what the listeners think? can't see. Yeah, um, so I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, like a sh- like a shoe. They're not very big.
0: Yeah, It depends how big your feet are though. <laughs> like I'm looking I'm looking at your coffee mug like not bigger than maybe a little no, bigger than a coffee
1: mug I'm maybe a little bit taller a little bit but, taller but definitely not not wider than I don't <laughs> I mean that's an odd comparison yeah pineapple a pi- A pineapple. That's what
0: I'm. (laughs) A small, (laughs) (laughs) a small pineapple. I'll give you the example of a burrowing owl.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that's pretty. Okay, are, are they mainly eating insects? I'm assuming. So yeah, so they'll eat insects and they eat small rodents out there, as well as you know they're pretty omnivorous really for a really yeah so they'll they'll eat all kinds of stuff whatever they'll they eat... find lizards they'll eat the lizards that are out there But they'll also eat like vegetation and stuff oh i guess an omniverse is not the right word. so i'll
0: tell you something i was listening to the uh and this is a plug here the varmint's podcast which is a great podcast if you guys haven't listened to it, it you know it's, it's it's a good animal podcast and they feature an animal each week and they were talking about alligators and i thought well you know i have two alligators have been working with them for over 10 years like i know a lot about alligators and i learned something that they also eat fruit oh wow i was shocked and i was and i was like what and they yeah they they will eat fruit are very opportunistic so They'll eat, they... like, mangoes. and But I'm wondering if it's, like, just, you know, it falls, you know, into the water. Is it, like, a predatory response,
1: I'm thinking? Uh, yeah, if it's falling I'm into the water. I'm thinking so.
0: Yeah, but then they talked about them actively eating fruit, and they've seen it in Florida. And I thought, that is the strangest thing. I could never imagine going to Sonny or Chompers and being like, here's a mango. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mango or chicken tonight? Mango
0: or chicken. What do you think about? This? Isn't that weird? I, I bet it's just like it has to be a predatory response.
1: I feel like it probably is a predatory. Something response. Something
0: falls and then it's just like
1: bam. They just snap at it. Yeah. But I mean, then again, you know, if there's nothing else available, then maybe they are selecting for it. Yeah. I feel like a lot of it probably has to do with what's available.
0: Yeah, I thought that was. I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's. That is really interesting. Yeah,
0: I'd never heard that before. So learning stuff every day. This is what I love about podcasts, just, you know, listening. And I've learned a lot about burrowing owls, which is nice.
1: Just in this short podcast.
0: (laughs) Just in this short podcast. Well, we're about an hour in. So (laughs) we've put in three people to sleep already on their drive home. Uh, I'm kidding. So did you – so this is so weird. And if if you don't know anything about this – tell me, because I don't want to put you in a weird situation, but when I was at Boise State, I remember talking to Jim Beltoff, is that his name? Yes. Dr. Beltoff. And he was saying that I was taking this class, I think, oh my goodness, I think animal ecology, behavior? Yes, animal behavior. Anyway, but he was mentioning that between Boise, Idaho, and then into Mountain Home, the 30 minutes, you know, stretch, that they have more owl fatalities than anywhere else in the United States. Yes. So, what huge. Is, so what's going on? It's I, huge.
1: So that, it's probably more so like barn owls specifically okay. because... At, so at nighttime, so that, that stretch is a major highway. So that's essentially part of the freeway. So cars are driving was 75 miles an hour, and I think now they've upped the speed limit to 85 miles an hour on mm. that stretch. Um, at nighttime, the owls are flying low because they're searching for prey. And... They just so happen to be passing over the roads, and a lot of them are getting hit by cars it's but why huge. is it specifically
0: that area? do you think it's it's
1: because that the stretch in between Boise and mountain Home is essentially just it's just desert so it's it's perfect hunting grounds for these species, and that's you know they're out there looking mm-hmm. for for field mice and um for kangaroo rats and mm-hmm. They're just they're hunting, and it just so happens that a major highway passes through this perfect hunting grounds for them.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. Because when when I took the class, I was in 2011. They were he had his students out there. They're trying to figure out why that area in particular, and they, they found that out. That's great.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's not awesome. I mean, that the awesome. But it's great that they do
0: know. Yeah, it's. But how do you prevent that? I mean, like, what what are the steps? You 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 put up signs. I mean, like, how? I mean.
1: Aside from, I feel like uh, this is just my own personal perspective. I feel like aside from educating, Mm -hmm. obviously we know that the owls are out there and that they are Mm -hmm. hunting, um, you know, putting up preventative measures in terms of, of different things to let the birds know that there's essentially a road there. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. there's signs that you can put up for people. Essentially there's signs you can put up for the wildlife as well to try to, kind of keep them away a little bit from that area.
0: So, so what type of signs are you thinking Um,
1: lights? So, um, lights for sure are, I feel like a big factor. Mm -hmm. Um, but then that ties into light pollution. Do we really want to, you know, so there's, there's many questions to be asked about what can be done and what should be done, I suppose, in terms of things like this, the fatality of the owls. We don't necessarily want to be putting a, a ton of light out there and having mm-hmm. light pollution out on this area um, that shouldn't have it to affect other species that are out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that there, there are definitely other things that can be done in terms of maybe lessening um, the habitat areas around the roads, um, different mm-hmm. signs and things like that to make it less, uh, I don't know, less interesting for the birds so okay. that they're not wanting to hunt right next to the roads mm-hmm. and things like that um mm-hmm. i don't know necessarily how effective that that would be but yeah. it's it's an idea it's an idea you know yeah. it's definitely an idea
0: they're trying these things in, in africa with lights the red lights that are um i think it's like uh solar lights i think dr verani munir was talking about it solar lights that are actually keeping away lions and hyenas oh that's yeah. amazing and they don't know how long it's going to work but the lights scare the predators away and it's an effective right now it's pretty effective
1: that's awesome
0: yeah just have to kind of be more aware and
1: yeah and yeah, see how it's impacting the environment there's forever I feel like forever going to be the need to, to do further studies on different ways that we can both less impact the environment as well as um, make sure that we are protecting what we can of the environment Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely well first of all thank you so much this was such a fun interview do you have any last just words of advice for young listeners who are interested in you know trying to pursue the biology career
1: I would say uh, follow follow your passion if you really have a passion for this type of work you should certainly follow it Um, I would definitely say in terms of like graduate education, do your research. Find uh, an advisor that definitely meshes with your thoughts and your ideas, as well as somebody that you think can really guide you along this path, instead of um, just rushing into the first thing that, that you find, so that that way your passion stays true, and that way you can truly do something that, that you love. I mean, I I found more passion for burrowing owls than I ever thought that I would, um, and in terms, it opened up doors for raptors, and and now my current work. So, without my master's, I wouldn't have been able to to find the people that I did, and to learn the things that I did. So I would just follow follow your heart.
0: Yeah, and then also don't give up because I remember if if, if you don't mind me saying this, that you. Because it was, it, I, I think it's a struggle even for me to find a biology-related job, and I've never had a biology job. I mean, I'm self-employed; I you know have my own business, but it's very hard, I think, to find a job. They're very competitive, and so yeah. for for you, I mean, for years you were trying to find that perfect fit, and you continued to go. and I think it's a great perseverance is great.
1: Yeah, I think without um, without pursuing my master's, I don't think I would have had any luck really in, in finding uh, field work or other jobs related to biology um, it wasn't until I started my master's program that I was able to find um, some other work and I was able to do field work where I worked with rattlesnakes and raptors and vegetation and I found passion for more species than I ever thought I would and, uh, and, and it has continued from there so I am I'm very, I feel like I'm very lucky um, but it was all through hard work in order to get here
0: yeah, absolutely. You said it all. <laughs> <laughs> Diane, you've said it all. No, i Well, thank you so much for doing this podcast. I had so much fun talking to you, and I really think this is really inspirational for listeners who want to pursue the career, and I've learned a lot about burrowing owls.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me, and uh, I hope that the, the listeners weren't falling asleep on us. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. And will you actually
0: share with me some pictures so I can post? Of maybe the tigers you saw? Maybe of a burrowing owl? Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah for that sure. sounds good. We'll have to do that. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxie.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.